Brett McCracken says that we are in a world that is flooded with information, but starving for wisdom. There is more stimulation and often less synthesis. There's more busyness and less stillness. There's more noise, more distraction. There is more activity and less peace, more to look at and less to see. There's more consumerism and less joy. In a world like ours that's so bright and so busy, if we're not careful, it's difficult to get a clear and biblical picture of who Jesus is as he describes himself in Scripture. In 2012, in December, Time magazine put out a magazine article with Jesus on the front cover of the magazine with this title underneath it. Who do you say that I am? Drawing that question from Matthew 16 and verse 13. They reproduced the same magazine in December of 2020. The issue isn't all bad. They don't deny the historicity of Jesus. They try to the best of their ability to get their information from Jesus from the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But here is one of the opening lines in the article and one of the problems with it. They say we must take our Jesus and mesh him with all of the other pictures of Jesus that we have, all the other Jesuses, in order to get a clear view of who he truly is. They say we need the words of philosophers, eminent thinkers, scholars, founding fathers, and contemporary commentators to truly see Jesus as he is. And, of course, the problem with that is those ideas put more emphasis on what men say about Jesus than what Jesus says about men. We should always be more concerned with what Jesus says about humanity than we are in what humanity says about Jesus. When John opens up his gospel account, he begins much like Moses began in the book of the Bible we know as Genesis. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made and him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. John says he is God. But then John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says he's also man. When he concludes his account in chapter 20, he says the reason why he wrote in John 20, 30 and 31, truly many other signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ. And in that believing, you might have life through his name. John says when you get to the end of this 21 chapter book, I want you to walk away knowing that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah of old. He's the son of God. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 5. Throughout Jesus' life, much like today, there were questions about who he was. There were misunderstandings. Some people thought he was just a man, John 7 and verse 12. Sometimes people said, maybe he's a prophet, John 7 and verse 40. Or can he really be the Messiah because he doesn't come from Jerusalem, John 7 and verse 41. But in John chapter 5, in the context of our lesson this morning, begins in John 5, 1 through 18. Jesus comes upon a man that the Bible describes as an invalid. Among others, he had been in that condition for 38 years. Jesus says in John 5 and verse 6, do you want to be healed? In verse 8, he tells him to arise and walk and the man regains his strength. Jesus on this occasion heals a man and then his enemies are frustrated with what he's done. In verse 16, they're frustrated because he healed on the Sabbath, but more than that, they're angry because he claimed equality with God. They misunderstood him. They didn't know who he was. And what follows in John 5, 19 through 46 is one of the longest uninterrupted discourses that we have of Jesus. Jesus' words as he talks to the Pharisees, he talks to his opponents, his enemies, and he tells them who he is in plain colors. 
He describes why he came and what he came to do and how he must be appreciated and received if we would ever truly know life. There's much that Jesus says to us in this text, but what we're going to do this morning is really boil it down to four statements of Jesus in his own words. How does Jesus describe himself? Because after all, that's what really matters. What Jesus says about himself is what we should be saying about him as well. But Jesus made in our own image is not powerful enough to save us, not bold enough to challenge us and is unworthy of our worship. But the Jesus who describes himself as scripture is the one we need to give our lives over to. Who is Jesus in his own words? Number one, Jesus is the source of life. They were angry because Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. But Jesus says, I've come to do more than that. And I'm capable of doing more than that. In John 5, 21, Jesus says the father raises the dead as the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also does the son give life to whomever he wishes. Jesus says, I have not only made a man whole and strengthened his limbs. I can do more than that. I can take dead individuals and I can give them life. The Old Testament gave this prerogative, this authority only to the God of heaven. First Samuel two and verse six, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39 says God is able to kill and make alive. But Jesus says that's true about me. Now, there were individuals in the Old Testament who were able to raise individuals from the dead. You think about Elijah in first Kings 17, 17 through 34. Or Elisha in 2 Kings 4, 18 through 37. But what Jesus says he's able to do in verse 21, this idea of giving life is something far greater than that. Jesus says, I, like the Father, am able to breathe life into individuals. And in fact, everyone who lives, lives because I allow them to do so. Commentators are frustrated with verse 21. They don't know which life Jesus is talking about. Is Jesus saying that he gives life to whomever he wishes in reference to this reality that if you're dead in sin and you come to Jesus, you will know spiritual life? Or is Jesus talking about the future resurrection when all that are in the grave will hear his voice and come forth to eternal life? Maybe the ambiguity is deliberate because Jesus can do both. He gives life to all things. First Timothy six and verse 13. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our very being, but also those that are dead in sin who come to God through him. know life like they haven't known it before. Jesus says, I am the source of life. It makes sense that Jesus can give life to whomever he will, because look at verse 26. He possesses life in and of himself as the father has life in himself. So he's also granted to the son to have life in himself. He can give life freely because he is dependent on no one else or nothing else for his existence. But everyone else and everything else is dependent on him for theirs. He upholds the world by his very word of his power. Hebrews one and verse three. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn before all things. He created all things in heaven or in earth, dominion, principalities, whether they exist, they exist because he created them. He holds all things together and in him they consist. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. Jesus has life in and of himself. And so he's able to share that life freely with all individuals who come to him. He says, I am the source of life. Throughout John's gospel, he uses the Greek word zoe for life 36 times and more often than not. It's used in reference to who Jesus is. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, John 1 and verse 4. Those who believe on me, those who believe on the Son of God, will not perish but have everlasting life, John 3, 15 through 16. I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance, John 10 and verse 10. He gives eternal life, John 10, 28. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. I'm the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. And then in John 14 and verse 6, he simply says, I am the life. In his own words, Jesus is the source of life. 
His enemies needed to hear him say this because they had misjudged him. They were misinformed about who he was. They thought that he had come to ruin their their religious system. But Jesus says, I've come to give you something that no one else could. He brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 10. And he's the only one that could. They viewed him as a rebel who made up his own rules. But in his own words, he says, I'm the one that's come to bring life so that you might live like you never could otherwise. His enemies needed to hear him say this. And we need to hear him say it as well. We may think on this point that we're so familiar with these words and with this facet of Jesus's ministry that we get this. But what Jesus says about giving life matters for you and me for this reason. We may be tempted to build our lives on things and people other than Jesus. And what Jesus says here matters, because if we build our lives on our good looks, some of us, right, on our finances, on our educational attainments, On our positions in life, all of those things will eventually crumble. They're not strong enough to bear up under that load and give us the true satisfaction that we desire. If we build our hopes on anything else other than Jesus, if we build our lives on anything else other than him, success will go to our head and failure will go to our hearts. Jesus says only in me can you really know life. And we are far more tempted than we're really willing to admit to build our life on other things. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. John 6, 68. Jesus says, come to me. I am the source of life. And only people that come to Jesus really have this life. It said that energy drinks were founded in 1927. In the UK by pharmacists. It was a hospital drink designed to restore energy and aid recovery. And since then, our shelves have been filled with a plethora of them. But what they don't tell you is, though they offer the spark to get you going and to help you make it throughout the day. But what they don't tell you is too many of those energy drinks can really ruin you, can wreck you. While Red Bull promises to give you wings, too many of them lead to a crash landing. And too many monsters may turn us into one. Jesus says, only in me. Do I have to give you what will really sustain you? He's the prince of life. He's the author of it. All other idols let us down. Andy Croucher is right when he said, in the beginning, all idols ask for nothing and promise everything. But by the end, idols give nothing and they demand everything. Jesus says, come to me. I am the source of everlasting life. Number two, in his own words, Jesus says, I'm the judge and I'm worthy of honor. More than just the life giver, Jesus says, I am the judge and I'm worthy of honor. Look at John 5 and verse 22. The father judges no man, but he has committed all judgment to the son that all may honor the father just as they honor the son. Those that don't honor the father, don't those that don't honor the son do not honor the father who sent him. Jesus says, I am the judge. Not only is he the life giver, but he's the judge. And herein lies the irony of the gospel accounts. Throughout the gospel accounts, you read of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin working like private investigators behind the scene to see whether or not Jesus is real or if he's a fraud. Whether or not he really measures up to all the Old Testament prophecies and can do all of the things that he claims he can. And Jesus crushes their view of him in this account. He says, you all don't get to sit in judgment on me. In the end, I will be the one who reigns as judge over you. So many people come to Jesus with their eyebrows raised and arms folded as if Jesus needs to impress them. Show me that you are who you claim to be. Prove it to me. Demanding more evidence, more proof, more signs, more verses. And Jesus says, no, you don't get to sit in judgment on me. I truly am the judge of all of humanity. 
In Acts 10 and verse 42, when Peter was in Cornelius' household, he said Jesus went about doing good. But then in verse 42, God appointed him to be the judge of the living and of the dead. In Acts 17 and verse 30, when Paul was in Athens with the philosophers, they did the same thing. They sat in judgment on Paul. They brought him up to the Areopagus and they said, preach to us and tell us of this Jesus. And he says, God's commanded all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he's given assurance to all men and raising him from the dead. Jesus is your judge. Paul told Timothy, I give you charge in the sight of God and of the Lord Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Jesus says, see me as I truly am. You don't get to sit in judgment on me. One day I will reign as judge over you. It matters what we do with Jesus. It matters that we see Jesus as he describes himself. Jesus is not just a prophet or a philosopher. Jesus says, I'm more than that. I'm the judge of all the earth. Jews believe this in the Old Testament, that God is the judge. And what Jesus is saying is, I not only have God's permission to do the things that I'm doing, but I enjoy equality and sameness with God, so much so that God has handed over judgment to me. And if you want God's approval, you get it by your relationship with me. I and the Father are one, John 10 and verse 30. He is the judge. Jesus is going to judge everyone. And he's going to do it because of his role as the Son of Man. Look at John 5 and notice verse 27 along these same lines. He's the judge and he's worthy of honor. In verse 27, he says the father has given judgment over or given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this. The hour is coming when all that are in the grave will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Jesus says, I can judge and it's because I'm the son of man. This phrase in verse 27. And if you don't have this cross reference, just write it in. It goes back to the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. In a messianic passage where Daniel was shown this vision. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, he said, I behold, I saw in the night visions. And one like the son of man coming on the clouds, he came to the ancient of days and there was given him dominion and a kingdom and glory that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Of his dominion, there was no end and his kingdom was everlasting. Jesus views these Jews face to face and he says, guess what? That passage is about me. I am the son of man. And because of that, God lets me judge. He gives me this authority because I have all of it. Jesus says, I'm the one that you have to stand before. I'm the one that's going to judge you in the end. He has all authority. Matthew 28 and verse 18, after the resurrection, he told his disciples, all authority, all of it has been given to me in heaven and in earth. And that means something. How we view Jesus now will have great bearing on what happens to you and me at the judgment. In verse 28, he says, don't be surprised. One day, all that are in the grave will hear my voice and they will come out. And the reality for you and the reality for me is this. There will be no real surprises in the judgment. We'll die just like we will rise, just like we've died. Look at the text again in verse 28. Those that have done good will come to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil will go to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, all of our lives and our response to the gospel will be taken into account. But in this context, what Jesus means by those that have done good and those that have done evil, those that have done good here are those that have responded to Jesus properly. And those that have done evil are those that have refused his words. Jesus says, you've got to honor me. God's given me judgment so that you might honor me just like you honor the father. Verse 22 and verse 23 in his own words, he says, I'm your judge. How do you view him? 
No one who wishes for a favorable outcome walks into any courtroom, fist bumps the judge and says, what's up, buddy? It's your honor. It's most honorable. We put those prefixes on words for this purpose. It's to denote authority. It's to denote a position of prominence. It's to say that I respect you. And Jesus says, you have to honor me. You have to submit to me. You have to give me my rightful place in your life as the judge. It matters what we do with Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to honor me. Now, there is more to honor in Jesus than just what we say with our mouths. It's what we say with our lives. Jesus couldn't be fooled. He knew throughout his earthly ministry, there are those that honor me with their lips. They draw near to me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Matthew 15, 7 through 9. We won't fool him. It's easy to, quote unquote, honor Jesus on a Sunday morning. But there is a grave difference between honoring Jesus and merely tolerating him. Sometimes we tolerate God. We give him an hour of worship. A season of our lives. But rest assured, in his own words, he will settle for nothing less than honor, esteem, reverence. And he'll bring it up at the judgment. What have we done with them throughout our lives? It's going to matter. Jesus says, if you've done good, you'll rise to eternal life. When you read the passages of judgment, if you've responded to Jesus faithfully, this is great news for you, not bad. This is exciting for you. It's redemption. But if you haven't, there's judgment to come. If we've turned away from him, Jesus says, come back, because one day you'll stand before me in your true light as you truly are. John 12, 48, Jesus says, he that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The words that I've spoken, the same words will judge you in the last day. Who is Jesus? In his own words, he's the judge and he's worthy of honor. Don't you see it? He's saying to these Jews. I'm not a contemporary life coach with a little good advice for you. I've got something better. Most people have Jesus in either one of two camps. He's either the angry tyrant who can't wait to buzz them down to hell, or he's the pushover who will turn no one away. Jesus, in his own words, says, I am neither. I'm the one that wants to give you life, but don't presume on my grace. Because I'm also the one with the eternal gavel in his hand. And I will judge. Now, here's number three. In his own words, Jesus says, I must be heard and I also must be obeyed. Every time you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, these words in the old King James is verily, verily, or in newer translations, truly, truly. What follows is something very important. In the original text, it was really in Greek, amen and amen. Jesus is saying, what I'm about to say is of supreme importance. And it's the same way in John 5, 24 and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, those who hear my words and believe on him that has sent me have eternal life. They won't come into condemnation because they pass from judgment. Into life. In verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and it's now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The third thing that Jesus says about himself in this text, in his own words, is the words that I say, they must be both heard and they must be obeyed. What Jesus is telling these men is you have to submit to my words and you need to listen to them and you need to hear them. One of his favorite phrases throughout his earthly ministry and even in his heavenly ministry in Revelation 2 and verse 7 and Revelation 2, 11 to the seven churches. One of Jesus's favorite phrases was he that has ears to hear. What's the rest of it? Let him hear what Jesus was saying is you need to listen to what I'm saying. But the words don't merely need to pass through your ear canal. They need to pass through your heart. Let these words sink deep down into your ears. Luke 9, 44. Have we listened to his words? 
What have we done with them? This idea of hearing these words and believing them makes an eternal difference. We have to hear what Jesus says and then act on it and then respond to him and obey him. His words must be both heard and heeded. Jesus can preach and people can hear what he says. But if we don't respond faithfully, if we don't do anything with them, we do it to our own peril. We have devices on our phone. And maybe you don't know where you're going and you pull up maps and you put in the address. You say, "Okay, I need direction. And as you start to get closer to the destination, you may say to yourself, you might turn off the GPS. You may turn off the map map quest. You say, well, hey, this looks familiar. I kind of know my way now. I don't need it. You may ask Siri or Alexa a question. And sometimes these these devices of artificial intelligence, they keep talking after you've gotten the information you want. You just shut them off. You say, that's enough, Alexa. I've gotten what I've wanted. And if we're not careful. We may do Jesus and his word the same way. Hey, what's that Bible verse about this in a Bible debate with someone? Or what's the verse that says this? And once we get what we want from Jesus, we just kind of shut him up. Okay, this looks familiar. I know my terrain. I know the territory. I've gotten what I wanted. What's that Bible verse again that says this? And then we're done with them. Jesus says, you can't turn the volume down on me. You can't turn me off. Jesus will not be satisfied with us saying to him merely, Jesus, here's the key to my heart. I put it under the mat, but you never show up unannounced. Jesus says you must invite me in to remodel you and remake you. Letting this mind be in you, which was also in me. Philippians two and verse five. And it matters what you do with my words. We may readily receive this when it's the parts of the Bible that we like and that we're familiar with. The parts that are common to us and the parts that make us feel good. But what about the parts that press us? What about the parts when God says you can't keep acting like that? You can't talk to people that way. You can't keep engaging in those activities. Augustine said if we receive the parts of the gospel that we like and reject the parts that we don't, it's not the gospel that we believe, but ourselves. Look at John six and verse twenty nine. John six, twenty nine. Jesus would later say this is the work of God. That you believe on him whom he has sent. Hearing his words and believing those words means hearing what Jesus has said as the Messiah and then responding faithfully to those words. It means being transformed by what we read and hear in Scripture, not merely hearing these words, but saying, "Okay, I've heard what you've said, Jesus, and my life now belongs to you. I'm going to obey. I'm going to do something in response to the message. His words must be both heard and heeded. And when you do, you pass from death to life. John five twenty four. those who hear those words and believe on him who sent me has passed from death to life. They don't come into condemnation. Romans 8 and verse 1, those that are in Christ are no longer under the judgment. There is no condemnation, but they walk in newness of life. But those who haven't will be judged. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and they will live. That's about two groups of people. That's about those that, yes, in this life have responded to the gospel and have been raised to walk in newness of life because they've responded. But it's also about an eternity. One day the trumpet will sound. There will be the shout of the archangel and those who have heard his voice. They will live. Those who've said in this life, your will be done. will be granted eternal life by him. And those who have said my will be done, Jesus will say the very same thing to them. You wanted separation from me. You wanted distance. You didn't want my words. Your will be done. You can have it. We've got to obey his words. We must receive them and then we must tune our hearts to do them. Now, listen, maybe you're a doer. You're the kind of person you like to get things done. You don't waste any time. You get information. You just want to go and do. You're a worker. Jesus says to you in this text, slow down just a minute. You must be still long enough to hear what it is that I'm saying. You know, a lot of people want to do things for the Lord, but they don't want to obey him. 
And that may be confusing to you, but there are a lot of people that want to get up and get out and do things, but they don't sit still long enough to see what is it that Jesus says he actually wants done. In the second gospel sermon, Peter says he's the prophet that Moses said would come and all that hear him and obey will live. Acts 3, 22 and 23. If you're a doer, you may be very well tempted to just always run from here to there. Never stand still long enough to hear what he actually has said. Jesus says first, hear what it is that I'm saying so that you do the right things. But maybe you're a good listener. You're one of those ones who really likes to compile the information, memorize it. Get it cataloged nice and neat. Be nudged in this passage because Jesus says it's not enough to know the information and to know it well. One man described it this way. It's like parents going out of town and leaving their kids home by themselves and leaving a list of chores. The parents come back home and they say, why is the house in disarray? The chores aren't done. Things aren't done as they should. And the child lifts up the list of chores and says, look, I highlighted it. And I underlined it. And mom and dad say, yeah, but you didn't take out the trash. You didn't do this. I can say it in Greek. Have you obeyed? You see, you might be a listener. You might be somebody who knows what he says, but it does no good unless you're a doer. James 1, 22 and 23, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If any man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds his face in the glass. And then he goes this way and he forgets what type of person he was. Jesus says you've got to put both of those things together. I want them to observe all things that I've commanded them. Matthew 28 and verse 20, doing what he says. Are there parts of God's word that you just neglect? Parts that are just off limits. Parts of your life where Jesus just cannot reign and have his say. Jesus in his own words says to these men, you've got to hear what I'm saying. And then you have to submit and obey me. They thought that they had believed the law of Moses and they thought that they were upright and upstanding individuals. But Jesus says, you can't be indifferent to me and please God, because in the end, how you respond to me is how you respond to God. Now, here's the last one from John chapter five. Jesus, in his own words, says, I'm the point of all of Scripture. The people that Jesus was talking to in John five, they were great Bible students. But notice what Jesus says in John five and verse thirty nine and forty. Search the scriptures or you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And those are the scriptures that testify about me. They thought that they were good Bible students and they knew the Old Testament, at least the first five books. Many Jewish individuals knew those books by heart. But Jesus says, if you study the Bible and it makes you more like Christ or less like Christ and you don't do what I'm saying, you're studying the Bible wrong. You search the scriptures. Jesus is commanding them. He says in the imperative case, search them again. Go back to the Bible because you've come to the wrong conclusion. You've studied Moses and the prophets, but you don't believe in me. And so you need to go back and restudy because if you really were approaching the Bible from the right vantage point, you would realize that in the end, it really points to me. Search the scriptures. Jesus commands us to do it. He points them back to the same place he points all of us. That is to his word. You want a relationship with the biblical Jesus? I know Time magazine says we need philosophers and we need those with that are eminent thinkers and we need the founding fathers and scholars. Jesus says you need none of those things. They may aid you. They may further enlighten you on things that I've already said. But at the heart of it, what you really need to do is you need to hear from me. Now, we might readily acknowledge that and accept it in the New Testament, but appreciate Jesus in John 5 is talking about the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is saying to read the Bible properly, we must read it backwards. It's what he told his disciples after the resurrection. 
in Luke 24, he's walking with those men and he's appeared to the twelve. And he says in Luke 24 and verse 44, everything written in the law of Moses and in the Psalms and in the prophets must be fulfilled concerning me. He was all of Israel's hopes, everything they ever wanted. He says, guess what? Those passages are about me. All of the Hebrew children had grown up on their mother's lap, going to temple and going to synagogue, reading about Moses and Elijah and Daniel. Jesus says it was always about me. It's what Philip said to Nathaniel in John 1:45. We found him of whom Moses and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth and the Pharisees, they couldn't believe it. Is it really true? It was. This means that maybe all of our favorite Bible stories aren't about our favorite Bible heroes. Maybe the Old Testament is not about men like Moses and Noah and Daniel. Jesus says, really, if you read the Bible right, all of those stories are really pointing to me. In John 5, 46 and 47, he says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote of me. But if you don't believe his words, you won't believe me. He is the greater and truer David who reigns as king, who slays the giant of sin and reigns in our place without a blemish on his record. He's the true and greater Joseph who is sold away for silver by his brothers and rises to prominence according to the predetermined plan of God for their benefit. He's the true and better Job, tempted by Satan, suffering for no reason. But unlike Job, he never mumbles one complaint or accusation against God. He's the true and better Moses who leads all willing slaves out of slavery and into a promised land, not physical Canaan. But as Hebrews 4 and verse 9 says, there remains a rest for the people of God. He leads us to a destination Moses couldn't get himself into. He says, all of the Bible is like me. And we, like Coper in his song, rejoice and rehearse these words to see the law by Christ fulfilled. And to hear his partnering voice transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Jesus says the whole Bible points to me. Read the Bible, read the Old and the New Testament and see me doing for you what you could never do for yourself. The reality is the Bible is not a bunch of disjointed stories about trying harder and about moral virtue. The Bible is about a person. The Bible says to you and me is worse off than you thought. You violated God's will. You can't will yourself back into his good graces. It's worse than you ever thought. But in Christ, it can be better than you ever dared to dream. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. They were staring their redemption in the face and they viewed him as an enemy instead of an eternal ally. Jesus says, here I am in my own words. Read the Bible right and see me as I truly am. John chapter five, Jesus says, I've come to bring life. That's who I am. I've brought life and you can't have it without me. Jesus says, if you really want to live. Hear my words, turn to me and obey them. Jesus says in John chapter five, I am the one who will one day judge you. And it matters that you start to honor me now. Make this life a grand rehearsal for eternity by giving me the honor that's due me now and continue to read and study about me. Read the Bible backwards. Read of Jesus's reign and rule in the New Testament and come over to the old and read it like it was always meant to be read. All of our favorite stories, all of the favorite accounts. We're pointing to one who was far more flawless and perfect than David and Moses and Elijah. It's the son of God in the flesh. He's the one of whom it said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And if God would ever be pleased with you or be pleased with me, it's to the degree that we respond to his words and do it his way. Maybe you need to do it this morning to receive Jesus as the son of God, to both hear his words 
and then obey them. You can't sit in judgment on him. I know we think we can. Our eyebrows are raised and we say, I'm unsure about him. I'm skeptical about him. Jesus says, you're in my seat. I am the judge. Believe that I'm Christ. I've proved it. Turn from sin and confess me. Surrender. Allowing yourself to be immersed in water as an act. Not only have your sins forgiven, but to say, as I've submitted this day in this act of baptism, so I will the rest of my days. My sins are forgiven. I'm added to your kingdom, which will stand forever. You are the son of man. And I long for your return. If you've already done that, you're not in condemnation. You pass from death to life. Maybe you've gone backwards. Jesus says, search the scriptures again and come to a right view about yourself and about me. Receive my forgiveness as you are willing and ready to repent. We're going to stand and sing a song to encourage us. If you need to respond, Jesus in his own word says, whosoever will, let him come and I'll save. As together we stand and as we sing.